Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. It's good to ponder creation because creation magnifies the Lord. And, you know, as you sit and you think about the vastness of the universe and the greatness of it, again, as I was saying, what it does for me is it just, it magnifies the Lord. I think if we live in a universe like this, what do you say about the one who made this whole universe? Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Genesis, chapter 1, verses 1 through 25, in a message titled, The Days of Creation. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So, as we come again to our study of Genesis, we want to look at the six-day creation process specifically. And, of course, this process that we're going to look at is going to result ultimately in the earth being made ready for man. Man is the apex of God's creation, created in the image of God and Everything else that exists was created with man in mind. And so as we look at these six days, as we take just sort of an overview of each of the days, we want to keep that as sort of the backdrop, that all of this that God is doing is preparatory for man. It's amazing when you think of it in those terms. But before we get to the six days. One thing that we haven't yet touched on that I think we need to just momentarily talk about, and that is the authorship of Genesis. We've looked at many different things in the opening studies of Genesis here, but we need to also look at the authorship of this book. Now, I think it is indisputable that Moses is the author of Genesis, inasmuch as Moses is clearly the author of the law. Now, the law is a reference to the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It is also referred to as the Torah, and it is referred to as the Pentateuch. Now, In Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 and 22, Paul says something interesting. He says, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons. Now, Paul is quoting from Genesis, and he, of course, is referring to Genesis as the law. 23 times the law is called the law of Moses. Now, although the Bible tells us that the law was written by Moses, certain so-called Bible scholars who are really nothing more than Bible critics, they have denied the authorship to Moses And they have suggested that the law 
these first five books, they have suggested that they were written between 850 and 620 BC by a variety of authors. This theory is known as the documentary hypothesis. It's also known as the JEDP hypothesis, each of those letters standing for those that they feel were the, were the writers. The J stands for the Jehovahist, the E stands for the Elohist, the D stands for the Deuteronomist, and the P stands for the priestly. Now, you're going to see in a moment that I have a specific reason for addressing this. But here's a question. What is the driving force behind these ideas? I mean, after all, why would somebody even consider to challenge the Mosaic authorship of this book when the Bible clearly teaches us that Moses wrote it? What's behind this? What is the driving force? Well, once again, it is evolution. I'd like to quote to you from Henry Morris. He says, adherents of this odd idea have attempted to justify it. I like the way he refers to it, an odd idea, yes. They've attempted to justify it on the basis of supposed peculiarities of language and style, references to customs and cultures, and other internal evidence which seem to them to warrant this patchwork approach to the study of the book's compilation. No doubt their real reason, however, was their basic commitment to the evolutionary concept of man's development. The original higher critics, as such scholars were called, were convinced that man had not evolved to the state of culture described in Genesis until much later than the time of Moses, and that, in fact, Moses could not have written any part of Genesis or the rest of the Pentateuch since writing was unknown in his day. These evolutionary presuppositions were quite false, Morris says. However, and they were quite false, however, and most of them have been thoroughly repudiated by modern archaeological excavation. Today, it is beyond question that writing was practiced widely and in many forms long before the time of Moses. This is acknowledged even by evolutionary anthropologists. One of the leaders in this field, a man named Ralph Linton, says... Writing appears almost simultaneously five to 6,000 years ago in Egypt, Mesopotamia, and the Indus Valley. The time of Moses, of course, was only around 3,500 years ago. So why am I bringing this up? Because although these theories were debunked decades ago, they are still being spread today. They are still the dominant views that are being espoused in universities today, and on the more popular level, they are being dispersed through avenues like the Discovery Channel, the History Channel. Occasionally, some of the news periodicals will do a piece on a biblical kind of a theme, and in each and every one of these cases, you will find them referring to the documentary hypothesis or their view and their ideas are these same kinds of ideas, even though they have been debunked so long ago. So it's important for us to 
have an understanding of that because here's what's gonna happen. One of your friends or family members or somebody else is gonna say, hey, you know, I was watching the History Channel the other night and they had this thing on there and, you know, it was about the Bible and then they'll go on to tell you some bizarre thing about it and they'll mention that several scholars were there and uh, they were vouching for that position and so forth. So we need to understand where this stuff is coming from and then, of course, be able to give a good response to those who are asking those questions. I find quite often that whenever there is a program on, uh, people get a little bit rattled. People suddenly are wondering, well, okay, you know, I, I believe the Bible, and, and of course I trust it, but, but these scholars said this. But again, we have to remember where they're coming from. We have to remember what's motivating them. We have to remember that they have been influenced by this evolutionary thinking process, and they're still holding on to, and they're still trying to perpetuate things that have been long ago disproven. I mean, it's, it's pretty astounding, really, to think uh, that they're stu- still doing that. But that is indeed the case. So... Moses is the author of Genesis, unquestionably. And of course, Jesus certainly thought Moses was the author. And I think I will go with Jesus myself and these other so-called scholars, they can argue amongst themselves. Moses is the author, but again, here's another question. How did Moses receive his information? Because obviously Moses wasn't there when these things transpired. There are three theories about how Moses wrote uh, the book of Genesis. And it's, this is pretty much exclusive to his authorship of Genesis because we know Moses wrote Exodus because Moses uh, is one of the main subjects of the book of Exodus. But here we're dealing with events that transpired long before Moses ever came onto the scene. So there are three theories, the first being that Moses had a direct revelation from God concerning these things, that God more or less dictated these things to Moses, perhaps in audible words or maybe with visions of great events of the past. That's one theory, and it could be that that's the way it was done. Another theory is that oral tradition had been passed down from generation to generation, and Moses received that oral tradition, but he was also guided by the Holy Spirit to assure that he was passing on the correct information. That's a second theory. And then the third theory is this, that Moses actually took written records of the past, collected them, and brought them together into a final form, and all of that was, again, under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Now, I tend to think that the third uh, theory is the most probable one myself. Because if you think about it, there's no reason to believe that Adam himself would not have communicated these things to his descendants. And I don't think there's any reason to believe that he would not have communicated them uh, in written form. So we have 
this line that we can follow, we have Adam. Well, of course, we even take a step back further. God would have communicated the, the very earliest things even to Adam because he wasn't there to know what happened in the first five days of creation. So you have God to Adam, Adam to his son, Seth, Seth then passing this information on to Noah, Noah passing it on to Shem, Shem to Abraham, Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, Jacob to Joseph, Joseph, of course, then it would have passed on to Moses. So you can see that it would have been quite easy because some of these men, their lives overlapped one another. You could see that these things could have easily been written down, passed on. And then Moses, as he's putting together the the Torah, the law, Moses then compiles these things, and that's how we have what we know today as the book of Genesis. So, again, any one of the theories I think is, has validity. Uh, I personally think that the third one, though, is the better one. So, having said that, having stated the mosaic authorship of Genesis... Let's go ahead now, and we're actually going to get through the six days of creation tonight, and we'll move on from there, looking in the future more specifically at the creation of man. But, but let's look at the first six days. And so let me read to you the account of day one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. And so here we have the first day. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So here we have on the first day, God brings the material universe into existence, which, of course, includes the earth. Now, we use this term universe to basically describe everything that there is. The Hebrews, when they wanted to describe everything that existed, the terms that they used are the terms that we find in the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is the Hebrew way of of expressing our idea of the universe. And so that's what we're told here. On day one, God brings the material universe into existence. Now, it wasn't all that long ago that we didn't really have any idea of the vastness of the universe. We didn't really have any idea of the numbers of stars. We didn't even really know that there were other galaxies. But the things we know today, it is just astounding when you, when you stop and think of it. And, you know, for me, and I would encourage you in this direction as well, 
when I sit and think about these things, and, and these are good things to ponder. You know, it's, it's good to ponder creation because creation magnifies the Lord. And, you know, as you sit and you think about the vastness of the universe, it, it becomes, really, it's mind-boggling, almost in a literal sense. You know, you just get to a point where you think, I just can't even begin to grasp this stuff. And for me, when I think about it and, and the greatness of it, again, as I was saying, what it does for me is it just, it magnifies the Lord. I think if, if we live in a universe like this, what do you say about the one who made this whole universe? Now, the universe is made up of galaxies. And as you know, galaxies are groupings of stars. The estimated number of galaxies, this is the estimated number of galaxies, is one septillion. One septillion is a billion billion. A billion billion. Now, I remember 25 years ago or almost 30 years ago, I remember sitting here and as Pastor Chuck would be teaching and he would be talking sometimes about these kinds of things, talking about the vastness of the universe. And I remember back in those days, he would quote the authorities at the, you know, what they were saying at the present time. They were talking about the universe being, say, 15 billion light years in diameter. And, and of course, that in and of itself is, is absolutely mind-boggling. We can't even conceive of it. But what's happened in the past 25 or 30 years is that they've realized that it's, it's even much bigger than they thought it was back then. If 15 billion light years wasn't big enough, now the present estimation today is that the universe is 156 billion light years in diameter. Now, listen, (laughs) none of us can figure that out. It's just, it's beyond us. And, you know, here's a question, and this is sometimes what the critics will say. They will say, well, you know, the universe is so big, and and now they they seem to think that, you know, planet Earth is so small, and and because of the vastness of the universe, it it seems to some to make Earth even more irrelevant. Uh, You know, they would say things like, well, you know, why would God make such a, a vast universe and, and have something as small and, and irrelevant as the earth, as, as the center of it? And, you know, they, they use that to criticize the idea of a creator. But David told us what God had in mind when he created this vast universe. The heavens declare the glory of God. You know what God is doing He's doing one thing. He's just letting us know how glorious he is. That's what he's doing with this vast universe. It's a message that he's sending to the human race, that he is great, that he is awesome. We live, as you know, in the Milky Way galaxy. Earth is located in the Milky Way galaxy, uh, which is estimated to be 100,000 light years in diameter. So when we read Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, this is what Genesis 1 is referring to. This vast, incomprehensible universe. 
with billions upon billions upon billions upon billions of stars and, and planets and all of these different kinds of things. So in the beginning, God created the heavens, but also here he created the earth. Now, notice as we go into the second verse, as we pointed out before, it reads, the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And what's being described here is the immediate state of things as God brings them into existence. Because, of course, he's going to create this thing through a process of six days. Now, the question arises, why did God take six days? Augustine argued that God could have created it in six seconds if he wanted to. And he's right, he could have. Why did he take six days? I think from Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, we realize that God took six days in order to set a pattern for man that he would labor six days and he would rest on the seventh day as God did. That seems to be the only reason for the six days. But again, there's, there's a process that's underway here now. So at this point, the picture of the earth, and again, to quote Henry Morris, is one of all the basic material elements sustained in a pervasive watery matrix throughout the darkness of space. Elements of matter and molecules of water were present, but not yet energized. The force of gravity was not yet functioning to draw such particles together into a coherent mass with a definite form. Neither were the electromagnetic forces yet in operation, and everything was in darkness. The physical universe had come into existence, but everything was still and dark. No form, no motion, no light. So here we are on that first day, and then what do we read? And God said, let there be light. Let there be light. So God speaks now, and he brings light into the situation. And each time as we go through the creative process now, as God is assembling, it's going to use that same terminology. And God said, and God said, and God said. And of course, that reminds us of something that we have read in the New Testament. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made through him, and not one single thing was made that was not made by him. So each time we read, and God said, we're reading about the role of the Word who we know as Jesus, in the creation process. So God speaks, and he brings light into existence. And once again, I quote Henry Morris, this is where the electromagnetic forces came into operation, producing light waves. These light rays were impinging on the earth as it rotated on its axis, during the first three days of essentially the same intensities and directions as those which would later emanate from the heavenly bodies to be emplaced on the fourth day. So already God has set the earth on its axis and it's already rotating because we have this evening and morning first day thing. But at this point, the sun is not created.
For the month of August, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Bullies and Saints, an honest look at the good and evil of Christian history by John Dixon. Would the world be better off without religion? Does religion really poison everything? Many people today believe the world would indeed be better off without religion, and Christianity would be at the top of the list for most. In his book, Bullies and Saints, John Dixon considers these questions through the lens of Christian history. He examines the different periods of the Christian church, from its founding in antiquity to the Middle Ages, the 20th century, and what we can learn from history today. This book will challenge your thinking about the Christian church that is worse and better than you ever imagined. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Bullies and Saints, an honest look at the good and evil of Christian history by John Dixon. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.